The Old Testament reading for Ad Te Levavi, the first Sunday in Advent, is from Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning at the fifth verse. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, As the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. Then they shall dwell in their own land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The epistle is from Romans chapter 13, beginning at the 8th verse. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is dearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah! Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, 
that the King of glory may come in. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is written in the 21st chapter of St. Matthew, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When Jesus and those who followed him drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them unto me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted upon a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus went and did as, as they did as Jesus had directed them, the disciples, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put their garments upon them, and he sat thereon. Most of the crowd spread their garments upon the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and those that follow him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! This is the gospel of the Lord! In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That is the energy with which the crowds shouted Jesus into Jerusalem. That's the kind of attitude that welcomed him when he entered Jerusalem. They were really excited. It was really a good thing. It was awesome. You see, Scripture shows us that the Hebrews viewed Hosanna the word Hosiana in Hebrew as salvation right now. The one who's going to save us right now, we pray. And he's going to answer that prayer right now. Additionally, the scripture shows us how the Hebrews viewed the word Hosiana or Hosanna. It's used in, in 1 Samuel 14, 6, when Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Nothing restrains the Lord by saving by many or by few. Therefore, Hosanna or Hosanna is all about salvation and being saved. And nothing prevents the Lord from doing this. And this is the crowd's conviction when they yelled, Hosanna to the Son of God, Hosanna in the highest. They're convinced that Jesus is going to save them right now. Do we believe this? That's really the more, more, more important question, isn't it? Do we believe it? I mean, our money says in God we trust, but do we trust maybe in money? Or do we trust in God? Or maybe it's better to ask ourselves, rather, in which God we trust, right? Because in Exodus 20, God tells us, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods beside me. And in his large catechism, 
Luther asked rhetorically, he said, what does it mean to have a God? Or what is a God? Well, a God means that from which we expect all good and in which we take refuge in all distress. So to have a God is nothing other than trusting and believing in him with your whole heart. So, to what or to whom do we believe in with our whole heart? Who is the one we expect to save us right now, to give us Hosanna? And what kind of Hosanna, what kind of salvation are we seeking from our God or the true God? I mean, what kind of salvation do we want from, from, from this, de- this deity, right? I mean, do we want financial salvation or emotional salvation or economic salvation? Maybe professional salvation or social salvation or maybe romantic salvation. I mean, there's all kinds of salvations. Which one do we want? Which one is important to us? What kind of deliverance are we seeking? And, and this is important because, you know, if we can identify what kind of deliverance we, 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 we desire, that will help us to more accurately pin down actually which deity we really, truly worship. Because you see, the Messiah that that the crowds praise on Palm Sunday, that that they welcome into Jerusalem, you know, was a radically different Messiah than the one that that, that that really was, right? What they, their expectations did not even closely match the realization of Jesus. And how do I know this? Because in just a few days, the same Jerusalem crowds who so energetically welcome Jesus and, 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 and call upon him to be their savior are the same ones who are just as energetically and just as determinedly yelling, crucify him! Crucify him! Away with him! We have no king but Caesar. Give us Barabbas. The same crowds, the same energy, the same people, radically different outcomes. Hosanna, crucify. It's shocking, isn't it? How, how quickly the, the transition occurs. Or is it? I mean, the prophet Isaiah tells us that these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so they worship me in vain. They teach his doctrines, the, pro- the precepts of men. Now, we need to grasp that the, that, the, that the command, thou shalt have no other gods before me, isn't really so much a, a command. What it really is, I think, is it's a description of the moral and spiritual architecture of the universe, right? It's not a command. I mean, it is a command, but it's more than a command. It really is just simply describing the architecture of the universe, spiritually speaking. Right? It's just not possible to worship two gods. It's not possible to have two masters, Jesus says in Matthew 6. He said, you either will hate the one and love the other or be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't. It's just, it's an undoable thing. The double-minded man, Scripture says, is he's unstable in all his ways. And the fact that we sit here today, this morning, we were here, and others of our parish are not here, or sometimes we are the ones that are absent, 
and many times for no good reason, not always, but sometimes for no good reason, is, is a verification of this, of this struggle that we, all, that we all have between which master we will obey, right? I mean, some of us fought this struggle earlier this week, right? You know, Thanksgiving is the next day. I mean, do I go to Thanksgiving Eve service or do I, you know, I have so much turkey and so much stuff to do and it's just so much, so much to do. It's so difficult. I mean, that's why Luther says that we are sinner and saint, 100% of both. And that these, these, two, these two entities, the sinner and the saint within each one of us, are, are always and forever at loggerheads with one another. They, they never can resolve their differences. They are always in conflict. And so this civil war rages and is never resolved in this life. It's never resolved. Some days God will win in the war, right? Like this morning, you are here. It's great. It's wonderful. You're here to gather around his sacrament and gather around his words of eternal life and receive forgiveness and, and receive the certainty of God's, God's love. And then yet maybe later today, God will lose this fight as, as we have a disagreement or a fight within our families about something silly. I mean, that was, when I was growing up, that was always the thing. You know, we, we would go to church in the morning and, you know, and, and worship and it was all good. And then we leave church and, you know, within an hour, usually during Sunday dinner, we'd have this conflict in my family about something. It was just silly, no, nothing. And why? Because the good I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I do not want to do, that is what I practice Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So we want to do good, don't we? We do. I mean, there's a part of us that wants to do good. I know I want to do good. I want to obey God's commands. But at the same time, I don't. We don't, do we? And we make the most ridiculous excuses about why we don't. More to, more to I think, to comfort ourselves than to try to deceive God, right? I mean, we know that God tells us, let, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as has become the habit of some, Hebrews 10, 25. We know this is in the word of God, right? We know that Christ, like in the parable, sets the wedding feast as the homeowner and, 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 and kills the fatted calf, which is his son, you know, Jesus, the father does, and then call, sends out his servants to bring us into the feast that he has prepared. And then yet what happens, right? What happens? Well, we begin, to, we begin to ask God, pray, have me excused. You know, I have, I have uh, bought a field and I need to go examine it. I bought five yoga oxen. I have to test them. I, I got married. Right? But do we think that God who created the eye is blind? Or that he who creates the ear cannot hear? Is God mocked? So what does this mean? Why don't we want to go to worship? Why don't we want to do the things that are right? Why, why, even though our attentions are good, we don't follow through with them? It's because I think we are worshiping frequently the wrong gods. Gods who cannot save. Gods who have no salvation to offer. Irsats deities with irsats salvation and polyester saviors. And we do this while we pass the genuine article by and don't even give it a second look. Because you see, as Solomon once wrote in his Proverbs, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man in the end there in his death. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, wide is the gate and broad is the path that leadeth unto death. 
and many there be who go therein. Narrow is the gate, difficult is the path that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So can we find this path? The fact that we don't find it is that we're frequently looking in the wrong places. Blaise Pascal, the great French scientist and philosopher from the 17th century, he wrote, he said, men, it is vain that you seek within yourselves the cure of your miseries. All your intelligence and all your, your abilities only lead you to realize that it is not within yourself that you will find either your truth or your good. No, that, that truth has to be found outside of ourselves. And that truth is found in only one place. It is found on the back of the donkey that is going into Jerusalem and her cult. That's where it's found. It's found there. It's found upon the one. It's found within the person of the one whom the crowds in Matthew 21 call Hosanna, the son of David. That's where it's found. It's found in him. And what he does, it is Jesus truly who saves us. The crowds on, on Palm Sunday are right. They are. He is the one who saves us right now. He saves us in the right now of holy baptism. When we are born again of water and the spirit and the miracle of holy baptism, the, the sacrament of baptism, it's, it's mystery of God's word and promises connected to water. There in that right now, in that moment, we are born again of water and the spirit. The old passes away and everything becomes new. We are saved in the right now of hearing God's word. Because faith comes through hearing the word of God. Jesus' word does not come back from, it, from him, come back to him void, but accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended. And in the right now of Holy Communion, when we, when we receive Christ's true body and true blood under, under the veils of bread and wine, there in Holy Communion, we are receiving in that right now moment the forgiveness of our sins. In that right now. In that Hosanna. So in all these things, Jesus is giving us his Hosanna, his Hosanna. In the name of Jesus, amen.